You don't know what's ahead of you. You haven't been to the billy, that nasty thing. You haven't felt eight, twelve, or sixteen little hooves kicking you from the inside all winter long. Hello, listeners. Welcome to episode two of the Good American Novel by Hildy Festerlein. I'm Erin Alden, producer, art director, and Yelp's highest-rated kitten wrangler. And I'm Ursula Buker, children's library consultant and Rainbow Loom enthusiast. This is episode two of the Good American Novel, an all-ages barnyard comedy thriller podcast. This podcast will be a three-season journey with new episodes coming out every second Friday. If you've not listened to episode one, we strongly suggest going back and watching it, or you will get lost. This podcast is a sequential narrative journey. You have to start at the start. Start at the start. (laughs) Okay, Ursula, what happened last episode? We met the four kids, Gotina, Mango, Silver, and Dandy. We saw a spooky dream, and we heard a lot of about FM, both the radio and the person. So our listeners are basically experts on both kind of FMs now. Okay, and where do we start episode two? So... What do you know about homeowners associations or neighborhood associations? I think of homeowners meetings as meetings where a bunch of neighbors who are just a group of people with nothing in common, who would never talk to each other except that they have to look at each other's houses every morning and hear each other's parties, get together to argue about parking and lawn heights. And it always gets super political and there's always one super strong personality who's been running the neighborhood association forever and everyone just lets her get her way with everything. That's exactly right. So it turns out that farm animals have these too. So in this episode, we're going to meet the adult goats in Mangoat and Goatina's herd. And we're also going to meet their neighbors, who are some sheep and alpaca, and we're going to get to see their neighborhood association meeting. I assume that the goats are the strong personalities who boss everyone around? Do you even have to ask? (laughs) Right, sorry. And we will also meet the human farm neighbors. And to be clear, farmers don't usually have neighborhood associations. But farm neighbors do meet and so socialize a lot because their animals are always breaking out of their fences and going into the neighbor's place. That is the basis of farm social interactions. Doing animal herding and griping about each other's fences. Any content warnings for this episode? This episode is peak goat cursing. We tried to get them to tone it down as much as possible, but there's a point beyond which you can't scrub out all the salty words and have it still ring true. So we're going to have several instances of the words. Are you ready? The words. Tit, arsehole, and goat dam. That's as dirty as it's going to get. And this episode is the cursingest episode in the whole podcast. Most episodes won't have this type of language. Again, these are nanny goats. They give birth to four babies at a time. They get to say tit. Exactly. Are we ready to start? Let's go. Go to American Novel, Episode 2. Mama Chi Chi, nanny goat, mother to Mangoat and Gotina, 
president of the Milk and Wool Producing Animals Neighborhood Society and undisputed queen of FM's goat herd took a long drink from the stock waterer. She felt ten pairs of eyes on her. An alpaca stamped to clear away a horsefly. Clover, the boss sheep, glurked up her cud, and then the other three sheep glurked up theirs, all in a neat row down the line of sheep. Into the expectant silence, Mama Chi-Chi bleated, The meeting of the Milk and Wool Producing Animals Neighborhood Society will now come to order. We have a substantial agenda, so let's get to it. The first item of business is the call to order, and I have done that. Second order of business is the displaying of the lump for any animals who might be new to our society. Clover, the boss sheep of the neighboring herd, cut in here. Uh, Mama Chi-Chi, respectfully, we've all seen the lump. Hmm, you may be right about that. I'll make a quick amendment to the bylaws then, henceforth and in perpetuity. I move that we display the lump for posterity at any and all meetings, gatherings, or special events of this society, no matter who has or hasn't seen it. Unbelievable. Clover cut in, but Lady Baba, the mother of Silver and Dandy, and also second goat in command, chimed in. Movement seconded. All opposed? Mama Chi-Chi bleated over the discontented mutterings of the sheep, who their opposition and waved their hooves. All in favor? Aye. 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 Bleated Lady Baba, Lizotes, and Butt Midler, the three other nanny goats present. Mama Chi-Chi looked across the watering trough at the three alpacas, who stared their enormous alpaca eyes back and twitched their ears nervously at each other. Aye, said Mateo, the elder alpaca. Oi. Aye, his two herdmates muttered. The eyes shall have it. The lump shall be displayed. Bring the lump, mother. But Clover, the boss sheep, was not finished protesting. You alpacas are pathetic. You do whatever that goat tells you to. When are you going to stop being your little sycophants? Sicko? What's that, Clover? We're not sick. In fact, we're feeling perfectly healthy. We merely... The elder alpaca began in his warming up to a lecture voice, but Clover was in no mood for it. Just because she let you into this society over the objections of sheep doesn't mean you have to vote however she tells you to. People talk about us sheep, but you alpacas are acting like goat puppets. You're out of order, Clover, bleated Lady Baba. That's fine, Lady Ba, Mama Cheesh said calmly. Let Clover speak her mind. It's not winning her any friends, though. Maybe if Clover would be quiet for a moment, she'd realize votes might go her way a little more often if she wasn't always reminding these boys about how long she opposed us membership in our friendly neighborhood milk-and-wool-producing animal society on the technicality that their excellent fiber isn't wool. It isn't wool. It's not warm when wet, Clover railed. Wool! Warm when wet, chorused the second sheep. Wool! Warm when wet! Everyone's saying so, put in the third sheep. People are saying that wool is warm when wet, finished the fourth sheep. Why does sheep always have to act like sheep? Clover groaned. Excuse me, but people are also saying a number of positive things about our high-quality fiber, as it compares to wool, which have already been heard and accepted into the record of this society, put in Mateo, the elder alpaca. I believe the arguments about our fiber and our inclusion in this society are settled matters. 
I think you've done enough alliance building today. Don't you, Clover? Mother, bring the lump. Meh. I, for one, think Clover will have plenty of allies on this lump issue come next spring. This came from a new voice, one not clustered around the watering trough. And the voice that made it was muffled by the chewing of a blackberry vine. Everyone turned to look up at the alder grove, where the three teenage goats, last year's kids, were halfway up the alder canopy, climbing with the effortless grace of goat adolescence. I, for one, went on one of these three. I, for one, am hoping to never see that disgusting thing again. No offense, Grandma. Mama Chi-Chi narrowed her eyes at this yearling kid. It was her own yearling kid, in fact, last year's. Excuse me, Rafaela, but this is the Milk and Wool Producing Animals Neighborhood Society. Have the three of you sprouted some wool I can't see? Where your brains should be, maybe? Because you certainly aren't making any milk. You haven't even been to the billy yet. At the mention of the word Billy, the three yearling goats erupted in suppressed giggles and kindred whispers. Billy. <laughs> the Billy. Billy. Yes, yes, the Billy. How thrilling, how romantic. You silly things. You don't know what's ahead of you. You haven't been to the Billy, that nasty thing. You haven't felt eight, twelve, or sixteen little hooves kicking you from the inside all winter long. Haven't had a load of babies fighting to chew on your teats and use your backside to play Queen of the Mountain while you're trying to take a nap. You haven't had FM come and steal a quart of your milk twice daily. Haven't lost a baby to a coyote. And that's exactly why the three of you, of all goats, need to see the lump. No more delays. Mother, bring the lump. The sound of ancient bones creaking heralded the arrival of an extremely old nanny goat rolling a mason jar along the ground with her nose. Her ears and teats drooped nearly all the way down to the ground, and her horns twisted outward from her head in wizened spirals which attested to her extreme age. When this goat reached the center of the group and lifted her head, all assembled could see the blue clouds of blindness that had descended over her eyes. Into the center of the ring this ancient goat pushed a large mason jar full of formaldehyde, in which floated a whitish, leathery lump of some vaguely fleshy tissue, roughly the size and shape of a human heart. Disgusting, Clover muttered, but quietly, for the ancient nanny was beginning to speak. My name is Gotko Ono. I am named, so I am told, after the greatest human artist of all time. I alone among goats know the color that FM's hair was before it turned gray. I have birthed 32 kids, 28 living. Every goat on this farm springs from my line. And I have children, grandchildren and great-grandchildren, and the tendrils of my descendants populate farms stretching beyond the horizon. Twelve years ago, I birthed four kids, two dead, two just barely alive, in a five-hour birthing catastrophe in a freak March electrical storm. As a result, I developed a virulent case of the tit sickness. I nearly died. 
FM kept me alive by feeding me bitter medicines in a slurry of Gatorade round the clock. I recovered, but my starboard tit didn't. The tit made a wall of scar. That's how the vet later explained it. A wall of scar around the lump of sickness. And that July, the side of my tit dilated. That means opened up, you understand, like a chicken's asshole pushing out an egg. And it pushed out the lump. The vet was waiting to catch it, like a goat-damn devil's midwife ready to catch the spawn of Lucifer. <coughs> when the procedure was finished, I had a hole in my tit the size of F.M.'s teapot. And the vet nearly wet himself with excitement. He took all kinds of pictures and measurements and he pickled the thing in this foul-smelling vet juice. And the Ripleys, believe it or not, came out. And my picture and the pictures of the lump were seen in the Ripleys all over the world. But you'll notice the framed picture of it isn't hanging over my stall. And that's fine. That's fine. FM did a good job keeping me alive with the Gatorade. She can keep the Ripleys. But it isn't her lump, is it? She didn't push it out of the wall of her tit, did she? So when the hubbub had died down, I had a friendly raccoon break into FM's cabin and bring the lump back to the barn where it belongs. Goatko Ono drew a great shuddering breath and eased her body down into the grass, glurped her cud to show she was finished. And there it will stay, mother as a reminder to all members of this society, long after we are all gone. Mama Chi-Chi did not need to proclaim a moment of silent contemplation over the lumpy, white, grotesque hunk which had once been living flesh. When the moment had passed, Mama Chi-Chi went on. Item two, unseemly displays. At this moment, Mama Chi-Chi peered down her nose across the watering trough and fixed her gaze directly at Milo, the youngest of the three alpacas. What? What? Why are you looking at me? You talking to me? I am speaking of when your young human comes out to spray you with the hose. You mean alpaca spray park? What about it? And here the brown alpaca put his ears back and spat a spray of green alpaca cud over the heads of the sheep. What do you got against alpaca spray pork? Mateo, the elder alpaca, leaned in. If I may, Mama Chi, it is an established fact that alpaca fiber is five times warmer than, well, sheep's wool, and we alpacas did not evolve in these hot lowland climates. Cold water is a critical tool for cooling us off on hot days. And the little human youngster, bless the little tyke, he's taken a real liking to spraying us down with the hose. You can't imagine the relief, and the little lad loves it so. He's even got a cute name for it. Alpaca spray pork! Milo spat out again. Uh, yes, that part is fine. What some members of the committee have been complaining about is... Is this cool guy, Clover cut in, indicating Milo with a jerk of her head, this sport, bouncing his arsehole up and down, lighting up the neighborhood like a ramblam fire engine? So? So what? It's itchy. It's the itchiest bit. What? You all know I'm right. There's nothing hotter than an itchy arsehole in July. 
If you don't like it, look away. It is impossible to look away, Clover bleated. That's true. One can't help but look, Sheep 2 added. I watch the whole thing. Every time, put in Sheep 3. I never looked away once, and when it was finished, I kept watching him, in case it would start again. Sheep 4. Quite. Riveting. Sheep 2. Quite. Poetry in motion. Put in Sheep 3. Quite. A tour de force. Everyone's saying so. Sheep 2. That's not what everyone is saying. Clover bleated through her teeth at her fellow sheep. Lady Baba spoke up next. I have to agree with Clover that it is difficult to look away and disagree with the sheep who have been enjoying it. Yes, Mama Chi-Chi began. Perhaps we need a code of decorum for our new members. Oh, come on, Mom. You know you love that twerk. This last remark came from Raffaella, the yearling goat up in the tree. What? No. What is twerk? There was a burbling of giggles and whispered bleats from the three yearlings. Twerking, Mom? You seriously haven't heard of... I have to explain everything to you. He's twerking. It's a dance move. The dance move of our generation, in fact. It's a traditional West African dance form? Currently made popular in hip-hop, which actually describes every dance craze in American history. So, yeah. This authoritative questioning came from Lady Baba's yearling daughter, Stephanie. Do you know what they're talking about? Mama Chi-Chi asked Lady Baba. No clue. Ugh. Raffaella rolls her eyes. It's like this. Raffaella anchored her weight on a branch and tried in vain to move her hindquarters back and up, back and up, but she just ended up vaguely wiggling her tail. Goats can't do it. It's our fixed lateral hamstrings make it physically impossible, Stephanie said. So yeah, it sucks to have goat hammies, but Milo... Literal twerk skills genius, finished Raffaella. Epic, confirmed Minerva, the third yearling. Milo sent a spray of self-satisfied cud over the heads of the sheep, twitched his ears backwards like a baseball cap. Mama Chichi found no words to respond to this dissertation on twerking from the yearlings, so she turned to Lady Baba, her second-in-command. Lady Baba glurked her cud in response. I blame FM, Lady Baba said, for giving that generation those names. Raffaella? Minerva? Stefania? What? Was FM reading romance novels set in ancient Greece when we popped those three out? Mama Chichi made the universal eyebrow gesture for, I fear for today's youth. Ha ha! Good one, Lady Baba. Matteo cut through the awkward silence with an even more awkward laugh, leaving the goats to wonder if perhaps alpacas had fixed lateral laughing muscles. I'm sure young Milo doesn't know anything about this twerping. Twerking! 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 The three yearlings corrected in unison. Show some respect, Raffaella muttered. Milo tossed his head in the direction of the alder trees so that his curly brown bangs flopped rakishly across his eyes. Twerking. Excuse me, of course. I'm sure Milo doesn't know anything about this twerking. Perhaps I can shed some light on the matter. 
Matteo, the elder state's alpaca, was leaning into his dissertation now. There would be no stopping him. Let's take it as understood that all animals can relate to the discomfort of a hot, itchy, uh, <clears throat> undercarriage. Now, unlike a goat's tail, which stands charmingly upright, an alpaca's tail flops down, covering the parts in question. And it must be understood that, again, unlike your own tails, our tails are quite heavy. And so, for the believing effects to reach said parts, the alpaca must move his back hamstrings upward in a thrusting wave. And here, Matteo paused to demonstrate the backwards-upward thrusting motion. To effect sufficient momentum to flip the tail up. But it doesn't last long. The tail falls. And so he must pop it. 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 Now pop the it. old one's doing it. The yearlings get... Look at the old gray booty go. And all the rapt attention paid to Mateo's legal defense of alpaca twerking, no animals had noticed FM approaching on her tractor. When she saw that her pasture was bursting with her neighbor's animals, F.M. hopped off her tractor and ran into the fray. She put two fingers in her mouth and let out a piercing whistle. <coughs> Pearl, F.M.'s giant white Pyrenees herding dog, came running majestically up from behind her mistress and loped into the fray. Pearl, fur flashing, ran straight to the heart of the milk and wool producing animals neighborhood society, and she cut the sheep out first. Oh, she couldn't resist running in a grand circle around a herd of terrified sheep. How she loved to see their eyes roll and hear the horror in their bleats. Elmer! Elmer! FM yelled in the direction of her mule and sheep neighbor's house. Elmer, your sheep are out! Pearl! Over there. The sheep go that way. Roof. But Pearl didn't know how to make sheep move in any particular direction. She just ran ever tighter, majestic, loping circles around them. I'm going to faint, said sheep two. Faint, echoed sheep three. Faint! Everyone's saying so! Sheep four. Keep your wool on, Clover muttered to them. F.M. won't let that dog do anything, and Elmer will come for us soon. F.M., meanwhile, was trying to herd the three alpacas back to their farm. Come on, boys, it's time to go home. Millicent! She called in the direction of her other neighbor. Millicent! Your damn alpacas are in my field again! F.M. waved her arms softly in the air around the alpaca her arms making the gentle motions of a veteran animal herder, pointing them toward their own pasture. Milo, the twerking alpaca, <laughs> spat green cud into her hair. F.M. dropped her gentle arms and howled, Millicent, come get your damn prize camels out of my goat pasture! Oh my, my naughty lovelies! The neighbor called Millicent ran from the direction of her rose garden, looking like she'd fallen out of the pages of Crochet Chic Catalog. 
FM wiped the foul-smelling alpaca cud from her hair, using every available muscle to keep from rolling her eyes at her neighbor, as that lady lifted her floral moo-moo skirts to clamber over the fence between their two properties, calling out, Incorrigible, boys! You're simply incorrigible! And stage whispering to her alpacas, What are you doing in here? Why are you always in this pasture? You'll get goat stench on your valuable fur. Meanwhile, Elmer, the mule and sheep neighbor, came limping out of his barn, his cane in one hand and a veterinary thermometer, mule grade, in the other. He made a queer squealing noise, like someone in a pig-calling contest at a county fair. FM whistled for Pearl to stop circling the sheep, and once they were free, the five woolly animals ran toward their still-squealing human. When they reached the fence, Elmer stuck out his cane and tossed it around the neck of Clover, guiding her toward the gate. Come on there, sheep! It took a little doing to get the four sheep and three alpacas properly back through their respective fences, particularly as Mama Chi-Chi and the rest of her herd were quite keen to take this opportunity to sneak in and try out the roses and mysteria in Millicent's gardens and the hay racks in Elmer's yard, and Pearl was quite keen to continue herding the sheep in circles. When everyone was finally in their proper places, the three neighbors stood together in the corners where their three properties met eyeing each other with the awkwardness of people who spend most of their days talking to animals. When you gonna sell me that dog, FM? Damn good herding dog, if only you'd train him. A pearl's not for sale, Elmer, FM answered. So sorry about my boys breaking in again, Millicent said, eyeing the thermometer in Elmer's hand. It's because FM feeds them goats too rich. Come feeding time, all the animals want in her pasture. F.M. smiled. I don't hear you complaining about the goat cheese being too rich in your Christmas hamper, Elmer. Elmer pointed at her with the mule thermometer. I like that Gouda. Oh, I do like that Gouda. Never thought I'd like them fancy cheeses. I can't help but wondering if one of your animals is sick, Elmer, Millicent said, her eyes glued to the thermometer. Sick? What? Mules is never sick. Take all the brains and height of a horse, but you take out the weaknesses. Add in the strength of a donkey. You get yourself an animal that can carry a pack twelve days without food or water. Yes, interrupted Millicent, who had heard about the virtues of mules many times before. I I couldn't help, just couldn't help noticing that very large thermometer. (laughs) Oh, that. Going pack hunting with them German tourists next week. That makes me do a routine check on all the mules before they go out in the bush. Paperwork. That makes me cross all them I's, dot all them T's for my guiding license. Yes, and with your bare hands, too. Millicent said painfully, unable to take her eyes away from the thermometer. Please tell me, Elmer. Is it possible to take a mule's temperature... Orally? 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 You seen a mule's teeth, woman. You don't put anything in a mule's mouth if you want it back. Mules got the strongest teeth of any animal. You gotta use the back door. Of course. Millicent said painfully. 
orally. Uh, well, FM said to offer a change of subject. Has anyone laid eyes on the new neighbor yet? All three neighbors turned their eyes to a new landmark. It drew the eyes, in fact. It was a giant modern mansion which had been assembled in the course of it seemed like only weeks. After spending some moments lingering near collective gaze on what seemed like oceans of vinyl siding and modern floor-to-ceiling windows and four-car garages, the neighbors exchanged looks of apprehension. Their country block consisted of a cluster of four houses, four farms. For as long as anyone could remember, it had been only their three properties occupied. The fourth had stood abandoned. The empty property was a historic farm in the neighborhood. The more than 100-year-old Westerly Farmhouse, abandoned many years ago, it was said, due to some tragic events that no one living could remember, and left unoccupied because it was embroiled in a complicated legal limbo that no one alive understood. But recently, very recently, someone had managed to buy the Westerly property, and that Someone had bulldozed the house before the neighborhood knew what was happening and built this new house, larger than all of their houses put together, right on top of the site of the old farmhouse. They shook their heads at one another. No one had met the new neighbor. No one had even seen the new neighbor. I heard he made his money in railroads, Elmer said, offering up some gossip he'd heard from a neighbor who owned a bakery in town. I've heard they're in television. If that's true, it could really raise the profile of our little neighborhood and be good for all our farms. Maybe I'll get contracts providing flowers for film sets. And FM, maybe you'll cater the film sets with your delicious cordials and cheeses. And you, Elmer, you... Millicent's eyes returned to the giant thermometer in his hand, and the sight of it seemed to sink all her fancies. All we know, F.M. said in a voice that was uncharacteristically grim, is that whoever they are, they have plenty of money and they don't like old houses. At this, their thoughts all followed the same train, and they all gazed out at the historic, dilapidated, ugly, beautiful, ramshackle, paint-peeling, condemned, unspeakably glorious old barn, which was still standing behind the new gray mansion. The barn was beyond repair. They all knew that. It would never house cows or horses again. It was probably full of rats. Who knows what other vermin. And the November rains had been doing their worst to it for more than a hundred years. But the three neighbors all loved the old barn. They loved it, like you love an ancient oak or a mountain. It was, it had always been, the background to their lives there, an inseparable piece of their sense of home and place. The question was, did their mysterious new neighbor dislike old barns as much as he disliked old houses? A pleasure talking to you both, as always. FM cut these gloomy thoughts short and with a whistle to Pearl, said, I bid you both a good afternoon with a reminder that good fences make good neighbors. The neighbors chuckled and dispersed, and Mama Chi-Chi bleated to Lady Baba behind their dispersing backs.
their meetings would run a lot smoother if they had a strong society president. Yes, Lady Baba agreed. And a clear meeting agenda. Thank you, listener, for listening, for coming with us on this journey, this very start of this journey. Before you go, please do take the time to leave us a review on your podcast app. And also, please follow us. Go to American Novel Pod on Instagram for all your fun behind-the-scenes stuff. The Go to American Novel is written and performed by Hildy Festerling, with additional voice performances by Ursula Bucher, Johnny Bucher, Gabriel Alden, Caleb Alden, and Aaron Alden. Yes, it is a family jam. Our amazing opening theme is by the Steam Brass Band. Definitely check them out. Our in-episode music was performed by Elliot Tothill, Emma Radosevich, Joshua Rutherford, and Peter Hutchinson at the Electric Unicorn Studio in Bellingham, Washington. Our producer and art director is Aaron Alden, and our project manager is Courtney Lyons. Our children's library consultant is Ursula Bucher, and thanks so much to Johnny Bucher for all the technical assistance. Until next time. Seven seas, everybody's looking for something. <laughs>